Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of Joe on Joe Illustrated. This is the patron-exclusive podcast where we go over every issue of G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, the comic book, in sequential order, page by page, panel by panel, word balloon by word balloon, and we break it down like no one else. And I say patron-exclusive, but this is issue number 50. And you know every five episodes we like to share in the main feed with all our listeners. So you guys, if you like what you're hearing, please go over to patreon.com slash Pod and see how you can help support the show and get access to all the previous 49 issues slash episodes of this podcast. We're covering it all. And of course, today is G.I. Joe's Assault on Springfield. Issue 49, we just were introduced to Serpentor. There's all kinds of great stuff happening. It's a huge issue. It's a double issue with special missions in the back. And actually, we are going to do that as a separate podcast because I'm going to give that a full uh, breakdown treatment as well. And quite frankly, after an hour of yammering, uh, I get tired. So I'm going to record that secondly. <laughs> But I'll put that out on the um, I'll put that on the main feed for you guys too. We'll get that. We'll, we won't we won't put that behind the Patreon wall. But today we are just doing the first half of GI Joe number fifty. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for following. Thanks for being great. Just a great fan base and great listenership all these years. Remember to go to uh, Instagram or Facebook or Twitter at Joe on Joe Pod and send me an email to Joe on Joe Pod at gmail.com if you want to be a guest on the regular Joe on Joe show or if you just want to say I like your show or if you want to say your show's garbage, hot trash, give me a holler. I'm here for it. Well, without any further ado, guys, I love this segment of our show, which is called You Were Saying. And we're going to look at the uh, other comic books that were on the shelf the same month that this issue of G.I. Joe came out. And G.I. Joe number 50 was on the stands in August of 1986. So we're going to look over at DC Comics and see what books were out. Dark Knight Returns number three. Now, last uh, episode of this podcast, we talked about how there was a hiccup on the uh, the wiki webpage that I'm referring to here. And they had listed Dark Knight four two months prior so we kind of jumped ahead of ourselves, and I talked about how great Dark Knight was, blah, 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 et cetera, so on and so forth. So we're not going to get too much into it here, guys. But again, if you haven't read Dark Knight, go read Dark Knight. It's just just a seminal piece of fantastic storytelling craft uh, and very a very, very, very important book. So Dark Knight 3 is on the stands. That's a huge book. Um, also that month in the Batman van, Batman Annual 10 the leering face of Hugo Strange. Hugo Strange, I know they've used him on Gotham, and he was used in the Arkham games. And before that, he did not get a lot of love from like the mainstream uh, media. <laughs> mainstream media, that's that's got nothing to do with Batman. But you know what I'm saying, like the, the, the pop culture world. Um, I think they used him a little bit on the animated series, but even then, I don't think he fit into the regular rogues gallery. 
because he's not a crazy supervillain. He's just a crazy psychologist who learns everything about Batman and he gets inside Batman's head. And I think it works really, really well on the printed page because it's all like these psychological uh, like terrors versus most of Batman villains are, you know, there's some form of physical, you know, component to it. There's some kind of outward expression of it. Uh, but with Hugo Strange and Batman, it's always just that he knows everything there is about Batman and he like holds it over. It's like, so someone knows your biggest secret. Uh, and, and so you're always like nervous. Are they going to tell you? What are they going to do with it? Et cetera, so on and so forth. So this is a cool one. It's uh, written by Doug Menk and penciled by Dennis Cohen. Alfredo Alcala inked it. I love Alfredo Alcala's inks. He did the Hawkworld stuff. Just gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Booster Gold number seven, continuation of that Superman origin crossover. And this has uh, cover as Superman just burying Booster's face right in the dirt. That is um, uh, just another example of a super super dickery. If you've ever seen that website, they gather all the uh, all the covers where Superman's just acting like a jerk on the cover. It's a fabulous website. <laughs> Speaking of Hawk World, Hawkman number one. Uh, this is his second volume. Hit the stands. This was after the uh, mini series called the Shadow War of Hawkman ran. They did. They ran this uh, Hawkman series for I want to say like. 18 issues or something along that lines it's it, it wasn't super long lasting i'm pretty positive it didn't get to two years but it's really good tony isabella wrote it tony isabella created uh black lightning and it was penciled by richard howell and don heck it's very 80s dc but it's just really solid superhero stuff um i like the hawks a lot I know that their continuity got screwed around and screwed up with Zero Hour and then, you know, First Crisis and Zero Hour and all that stuff. Uh, and Hawkworld, frankly, was a big problem because they set Hawkworld in the modern day and just saying it was a it was a, a prequel kind of a story. But the I fell in love with Hawkworld. Hawkworld, I thought, was just fabulous, both the miniseries and then the regular ongoing series. So if we do this podcast long enough, we're going to eventually reach that and we'll talk more about Hawkworld. But... I'm a fan of Hawkman. I like that character so much. The current Hawkman series is actually really, really good if you're a DC fan. It's very mired in like DC Universe continuity stuff, which I dig. I just like quite a bit. So uh, yeah, check out check out Hawkman comics. They need to do a, a Hawkman omnibus. I don't think there's a huge demand for it. But those early Hawkman stories were really, really weird. Specifically, I'm thinking about uh, the Manhawks. The hawk, the, the bird-like creatures, humanoid bird creatures who wore human skin as face masks. Yes, yes. Superman 422 has this great black and white Brian Boland cover. Uh, it's black and white except for the eyes. Superman's being turned into some kind of um, like monster, vampire, werewolf thing. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but this cover is just so striking. And is you've seen it before. It has shown up in many, many places because he's just a monster. Again, another example of super dickery. Oh, and here we go. Legion of Superheroes 25. So last episode of this pod, we were talking about Sensor Girl, and I got in a whole riff on that, and I wasn't sure exactly which episode she finally was revealed who she was. And I, I, I remembered it correctly. It wasn't exactly that one. It was That was like part one of it. This is part two. You have uh, the Emerald Empress standing over a defeated Sensor Girl, and her mask has been ripped off. So this was the one where they find out that it was actually Princess Projectra the whole time. Oh, man. we could. I, that's the thing, though. I need to do a Legion podcast, guys. If there's any interest in a Legion podcast, if you guys are hearing this and you love G.H.O., you love Legion, if there's any interest in me doing some kind of Legion thing, 
shout out. Let me know. I don't know. I don't know if you, I don't. I honestly don't know that J. Joe and Legion is the same audience. I think there's a huge crossover there because they're both these massive teams and very colorful characters and uh, really colorful personalities. But the settings are, are you know as opposite as they can be. But um, you know, if you guys are out there any, any Legion fans, shout out. Let me know. Let me know I'm not alone. But that's going to be it for DC Comics. You were saying. And now we're going to move to Marvel Comics and see what was on the deck for Marvel in August of 1986. Daredevil 233, the final issue of the amazing Born Again storyline. Again, uh, last ep, we talked a lot about Nuke and, and Fighting Cap and Daredevil and how I, I think I feel like it's a weird addition to what should be a very, very personal story. But somehow it works and it just it just plays really well. Uh, I think this season of Daredevil, this last one, where they kind of adapted Born Again to live action, I think it worked just fabulously. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I did wish I had seen more of Matt in his Daredevil costume because I like seeing that costume in action doing stuff. But uh, the origin of Bullseye and all that stuff was great. Uh, and it was and it was a good adaptation of it because it definitely wasn't a strict translation, but it was a really good adaptation of Born Again. Uh, Marvel Age 41. This has on the cover the man, Stan Lee. Rest in peace. We know we just lost him. We talked about that on a previous app. I think of the regular Joe on Joe. But this is a good comic book to get for the collector. It's 41. I believe the last time I saw this, we sold it for around 40 or 50 bucks. And that was months before Stan died. The cover really pops because it's a black and white photo of Stan that's sitting on top of uh, color illustrations from all the comics that he created, you know, worked on, co-created, etc. So uh, it's one of those covers that you see it and it burns in your brain and you're going to remember it for a long time. So Marvel Age 41, get your hands on it. Uh, Transformers 19, you asked for it, you got it. Omega Supreme with a cover by the wonderfully talented G.I. Joe alum Herb Trimpey. Uh, Omega Supreme was the giant base that became like the, you know, the, the rocket base that became a, a, an Autobot and just a massive toy. I never had that, but he's on the cover. He's blasting some Decepticons. Looks like, um, like Thundercracker and Starscream and such. Uh, yeah, Transformers is very cool. I, that's a series that I don't collect. I didn't collect when I was younger. I have got a smattering of issues, some of the keys and stuff, but I would love to go back and just read it all the way through because I know uh, I don't. Simon Furman later wrote a ton of the stories. I don't know if he was if he was writing it this early in the run though. Um, no, Bob Bedansky was still writing it. Uh, but I know that eventually, like Simon Furman, just made this huge mythology that Transformers fans just adore. So that's that's something that should be on my radar. Should I should look for like an? I know they've done omnibus and and stuff like that. So I, I you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll do that in twenty nineteen. Get uh, get my Transformers knowledge up to speed. And the last title for this month from Marvel is Squadron Supreme number 12. This is the culmination to the groundbreaking pre-Watchmen, Watchmen-esque miniseries. This was uh, just a wonderful series by uh, Mark Grunwald. Uh, I think Paul Ryan. Yeah, Paul Ryan did the pencils on it. And it addressed the issue of what if superheroes were, you know, quote unquote real, like how would we really deal with them in our government, in our society, what would happen? And also what would happen if those superheroes tried to uh, overstep their bounds and try to kind of like, you know, control society instead of just reacting to, you know, other supervillains, et cetera, and so on and so forth. The same things that Watchmen dealt with. Um, I think Watchmen 
aimed for a more literary um, target, but Squadron Supreme was really good. And if you've never read it, I, I urge you to pick it up. It should still be in print. I, I think they keep it in kind of perennial printing because it's got that kind of that Watchmen draft on it. Like it gets referenced in the same conversations. Certainly, you know, not as, you know, quote unquote highbrow as, as that book, but um, d- dealing with the exact same things, themes and coming to some of the same conclusions. So, uh, yeah. And honestly, Mark Grunwald, one of the best comic writers of the eighties, just rest in peace. Uh, he passed away mid nineties. I think just a, just a delightful, his books were just delightful. So that's going to be it for Marvel comics. You were saying, and now we're going to go to the movie theater and what was on screen in August of 1986, Friday, the 13th part six, Jason lives on August 1st. This was, uh, I just rewatched this. Uh, this is the one where Tommy Jarvis sticks, uh, uh, in the beginning, it's Tommy Jarvis and I think Ron Palillo. Tommy Jarvis is the character name, isn't it? And and I think uh, Ron Palillo from uh, Mr. Cotter, Welcome Back, Collar. Yes, it is. There it is. Well, Ron Palillo, who was Horshack and Welcome Back, Cotter, uh, and Tom Matthews, who played Tommy Jarvis, they dig him up in the very beginning of the movie for absolutely no reason. Like, Jason's dead and minding his own business and they decide they need to stab him in the chest during a rainstorm and the electricity flows into Jason and it brings him back to life and then he's a zombie so what that means is this is like the first appearance of uh, zombie Jason supernatural zombie Jason and I did a rewatch of these I'm by no means any means an expert my guy Jeremy Vilmer he's an expert in this stuff so uh if you're if you want to hear a lot about uh some amazing stuff uh like friday the 13th stuff reach out to jeremy vilmer he is my co-host on a show called the geekish cast he also does bell to bell with bobby blaze and uh he's he's active on twitter he's the uh, at geekish cast he's an he's an absolute master of friday the 13th stuff so when i was doing my rewatch i was pinging all these questions off him but this was like first zombie jason i actually prefer the uh kind of uh, backwoods murderer jason personally i think it's a little a little more frightening the zombie jason doesn't really do it for me but uh this was a um yeah it's a fun it's a, they're all fun they're that's the thing they're all just like stupid fun movies uh and speaking of stupid fun movies and it is stupid Howard the Duck, August 1st, 1986. George Lucas is like, you know what? I've created the seminal uh, fable of our age in Star Wars. Now let's um, let's show a duck having sex with a human woman. Let's do it. Let's cross that line. Let's do it. Um, I like Howard the Duck. I think it's a lot of fun. I love the comic book character Howard the Duck in a real way. I think he's just fabulous. I think uh, Steve Gerber made just a wonderful just wonderful concept there but this movie is difficult to watch august 8th one crazy summer man one crazy summer is awesome isn't it directed by say it is savage steve holland he did one crazy summer he also did the um better off dead which was just fantastic demi moore john cusack bobcat colthwaite uh it's just a just a great stoop i mean dumb it's a dumb movie but it's a dumb 80s comedy but it's got some brains behind it, and it's it's really if you've never seen One Crazy Summer, see it. If you've ever seen Better Off Dead, see it. It's really good. Another big movie, Spike Lee, August eighth. She's got a habit. This is one of Spike Lee's early films, I believe. Yeah, it is his first feature length film, and of course, there's a little movie 
on August 8th, 1986. A very, uh, you may have missed it. You probably missed the entire thing. Uh, Transformers, the movie. That's right, everyone. Transformers, the movie. Speaking of Transformers earlier, Transformers, the movie out on August 8th. Great. I loved it. It's a great movie. Like, it's everything that we've, other people have talked about this ad nauseum. They kill, you know, they kill a bunch of Autobots. They kill Decepticons. They kill Optimus Prime. Uh, the soundtrack is amazing. You've got Orson Welles' last role. Um, Leonard Nimoy's in it. Um, like, it, it's just, it's great. Like, uh, Frank Welker. I mean, I, everyone, Peter Cullen, Judd Nelson, Robert Stack, Casey Kasem, Scatman Crothers, you know, the Michael Bell, of course, uh, from GHO. And, uh, Transformers, the movie's wonderful. On August 15th, David Cronenberg's The Fly with... Um, Gina Davis and Jeff Goldblum. Guys, The Fly was August 15th. Same day as The Fly, Manhunter came out, the Michael Mann movie that was the um like the first Hannibal Lecter film, but they didn't like brand it as a Hannibal Lecter film because it was more about the cop than it was about Hannibal. And then they did Silence of the Lambs and realized, hey, you know, we should make these all about Hannibal. And then they remade Manhunter as um wasn't that the one the red something or other? Yeah. They remade Manhunter. They redid it. But the original Manhunter is it's good, but it's good like an extended episode of Miami Vice. Uh, also, Armed and Dangerous with John Candy, Eugene Levy, uh, Harold Ramis, like it's it's stupid. That's I love I, I love John Candy. I think he is uh, just someone that's missed on the comedy scene. I wish we would have had another 10, 15 years from him easily. August 22nd, Stand By Me, Stephen King, directed by uh, Rob Reiner, Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, Jerry O'Connell, Kiefer Sutherland, John Cusack, Casey Jamasco. There's a lot of people in this movie. You guys know Stand By Me is great. Stand By Me is just a wonderful, wonderful coming-of-age movie, especially you guys listening. G.I. Joe, that's what this podcast is. This is all about like that moment in time when you were 10, 11, 12, that's what Stand By Me is, you know? That's you looking back and going, man, I was 10, 11, 12. Uh, I used to play with these toys, or I used to collect this stuff, or I, I ran, I met these characters, and they meant this to me. Or in this case, when I was 10, 11, 12, I found a dead body on the train tracks, and then I almost got murdered by a bunch of punks, and then my friend threw up at the carnival, and then everyone else threw up at the carnival, and then we all grew up, and now I'm reflecting on it. Same day, August 22nd, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part two directed by toby hooper uh this was the one with dennis hopper and i think they this is the one where they took it a little funnier they went a little more comedy with it um they kind of went stepped back from like the sheer horror because the first texas chainsaw is like that is straight straight horror um and and in a real way and this is more gross horror i think uh because there's definitely a little tongue-in-cheek uh it knows what it is has a little more fun with it uh, but if you, if you've never seen the first Texas Chainsaw or, or if you haven't seen it in a long time, sit down to watch it with kind of a blank slate in your mind. Cause it is frightening. And finally, this is a ton of movies. August 30th, uh, Shanghai surprise starring Madonna and Sean Penn. Um, Madonna recently got butt implants. That's all. Just wanted to make sure everyone knew that it's a legit thing. It was weird. I saw it on the internet and that's going to be it for you were saying and now let's dig into gi joe number 50 here's snake eyes not really snake eyes but springfield and that's all the sound clip i have for that so gi joe number 50 cover by mike zach gorgeous cover you've got flint and what looks to be heavy metal 
in a mauler. Now, it's, it's colored green on the cover, and the mauler, of course, was uh, khaki. But I think they're in a mauler. I'm fairly sure it's in a mauler. It's at a weird perspective. You actually don't get a ton of it. But what's great about it is, even if you don't know like exactly what to- the reason I think Mauler is by the um, by the turret of the of the main gun, even at that weird perspective, you just know it's a tank. And and I love the choice here. And and my favorite part of this cover is without a doubt the Welcome to Springfield, a nice little town sign, which harkens all the way back to a cover that Mike Zek didn't even do, GI Joe number ten. That had uh, Scarlet and Snake Eyes sneaking into town, and it said "Welcome to Springfield." Heaven. It's the same sign. It's drawn a little different, but it's the same sign. And this was the fake when they set up like the facade town. Do you guys remember that one? So this is like a, a forty issue later callback to say Springfield's done. Like we're done here. So that's cool. Um, so I dig it. There's a, a, I like the coloring on it. I like the flatness of the the. There's the green, the blue, the red. I think it just all it all kind of works together. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a nice cover. It's it's a standout. I mean, come on, every Mike Zek cover is a standout. Let's you know, let's be real. Yo, Joe! The Battle of Springfield, script by Larry Hama, Rod Wiggum pencils, Annie Mashinsky inks, George Russo's coloring, Joe Rosen letters, Bob Harris editor, Jim Shooter editor in chief. Now, last issue was it last one or two issues ago? Bob Harris just joined the team, and uh, at the back of this fifty, this double-sized issue fifty, is uh, Special Missions, and he's the editor on Special Missions. That makes me think Special Missions might have been his idea. So I don't know that for sure. You know, maybe if we uh, corner them at a at a con, I'll ask that question. But um, which which if it was, I love it. It's fantastic because Special Missions is great. And you know, like I said, we're going to cover that on a different app. But I wanted to get that out here before I forget. Um, we, because one of the things we said is, you know, when you change editors, a lot of times there can be a change of direction or change of tone, etc. And that's the first big difference that I see. Um, so I, you know, hope maybe that was him. Uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Opening splash page, though, the Joes are in trouble. Now, I remember last the last issue, they kind of mopped up. They, they rolled into town. They didn't have a, a bunch of uh, resistance, but it ended with Serpentor rallying his troops and giving them the, the Thermopylae speech from 300 and going, you know, we're going to get those shows, blah, 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 blah. And this is like the effects of that. This is, oh, oh, it worked because, um, who's that? Rakondo has been shot. Scarlet's wounded. And the Joes are running the wrong direction. Snake Eyes has Scarlet over his shoulder. Leatherneck, Beachhead are there. Um, uh, Spirit, Quick Kick, stalker they're all everyone is running away and right in the center of the page literally the vanishing point of this page perspective is serpentor standing with his hand raised and a gun in the air very cool uh small detail i like a lot in this page is that the stoplight is set to red like it's 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 like saying telling the joes stop you can't come this way i dig that so much yo joe and very smart uh, that Larry remembers that the the Joes don't know who this guy is. So the first dialogue we get is whoever's commanding the Covers wants uh, wants to get to the airport too. So they, they don't know who this guy is, but they know he's doing a much better job than any other Cobra uh, commander. Wink, wink. CC, I'm looking at you. Uh, has done. They do see him too. Uh, Stalker describes him as the guy with the snake cowl and cape. It's too good. He anticipates every move I make, encounters it. I like to think that that's what he got from when they put uh, Ripcord into the Brainwave Scanner last issue. And Spirit um, radios into Hawk 
and it's a lot of uh, exposition. And most of these issues, the first couple, two or three pages, there's a fair amount of exposition just to catch everyone up because storytelling-wise, Larry does a great thing where he just gets to it. You know, he just jumps jumps time and it's like, all right, here's where we're at. The battle's going this way and it's not going well. Yo, Joe! And now we're checking in on Serpentor. Uh, the smell of battle, there's nothing like it. Mingled with, with uh, the mingled stenches of fear, blood, and burning metal are like unto the incense of Ares. Great. It's, I, you know, I said it last last issue. You're either on board with Serpentor or you're not. I know he's divisive. Uh, he and my Mindbender, I think, kind of both go in the same path. Um, I'm on board. This dude who is just the culmination of every terrible leader throughout history in this page, uh, he sees a Cobra soldier, random, random Cobra soldier, get shot, and he rushes right into the right into the uh, line of fire to rescue him. He, we don't abandon our brothers on the field. Enough of this. I go forth to press the foe who follows me. Like that's what Cobra needed, and and frankly, that's a little bit of what Cobra Commander originally was. You know, um, I don't not so much the like physical bravery part of it, but that bravado that he would stand in front of the crowds of uh like people at his you know rallies and incite them to violence you know and to get them to join cobra that that that's what cobra commander was and then we've just seen him become this obsequious weasel you know uh and and whose whose ego gets in the way and in this case serpentor has obviously a massive ego and he's brand new too so i, I don't know how much we can ascribe to his machinations to run Cobra. He has a massive ego, but it's actually backed up by the things he's accomplished. So it seems to be fitting. Yo, Joe! And on the other side of Springfield, possibly the saddest panel in any issue of GI Joe. And that includes the issues where guys get killed. Um, uh, so Dester is leading the uh, evacuation. He's, he's driving around uh, in the his tank and he's telling all the citizens that they got to go. They can only bring um, like one bag, one suitcase per person, the clothes you're wearing. Don't communicate with any non-Cobra relatives, burn everything. Basically it's we're, we're, we're cutting out Springfield's burned. We're destroying the town. We got to go. And you get a guy kills his dog. And I, I look, I don't see that the dog survives the rest of this issue. I really wish they would have drawn uh, the dog's name is uh, Sandy. I wish they would have drawn Sandy just running somewhere in the background. And I'm going to keep an eye out in future issues that maybe she's just running around and the guy didn't do it. But this dad is like, all right, we got to go. We can't take the dog. So I'm going to kill the dog. That is, that is rough living guys. That is absolutely rough living, but they are all, uh, all the citizens are gathering at the Springfield high school. Yo, so Serpentor has uh, kind of gathered what what is of his platoon of troops, and they're going to like make a big push towards uh, the Joes who are hunkered down. It's Beachhead, Snake Eyes, Stalker, etc. And while they're doing it, the Screaming Cobra, uh, the Joes really are like, you know, we're 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 actually in trouble here. Like this this may not end well for us. Um, just a nice little bit of uh, nice little bit of action. I love the second panel. Very smart that they. Put the camera, uh, Wiggum puts the camera way up in the sky to just give us an idea of the battlefield. 
so many times uh, artists don't do that. Just give us a perspective of where these guys are at and where they're fighting. They're like, oh, I want to show these close-ups of their faces. No, sometimes you got to do backgrounds. Sometimes you got to do streets and, and cars and buildings and stuff so that we can build this picture of exactly what they're in. And, and with this picture in mind, it paints a bleaker picture than if we had just seen, you know, the pained face of Stalker. You know, like, oh, no, we're in trouble. Well, great. Well, from above, I can see, yeah, you guys are in trouble. So we've got Hawk with the security team over at the airport. We see they've gotten the airport kind of locked down. Like it's it's knocked out. Uh, rock and roll pulls up in a uh, in a vamp, and there uh, a lot of exposition on this. A lot of this, a lot of any any of these battles, really, it's going to be a lot of exposition because you can't really animate. You know, you're not animating and showing planes fly and buildings explode and things like that. So it's usually more of the aftermath. So you get a little explanation of what's going on, and that it's really what's happening here. Pretty basic stuff. Yo, so now we have to circle back and check in on Ripcord. Remember, Ripcord was uh, disguised as Zartan, and then he was fooling the Dreadnoughts because, frankly, they're three morons. But then he escaped last issue and got recaptured, and they threw him into the brainwave scanner, and that's how they learned that he had called G.I. Joe to start the assault on Springfield. So he's still in their clutches, still in the brainwave scanner. Um, and... Uh, this is when the other dreadnoughts realize that buzzer knows where the actual pit is, but they weren't, he didn't tell anyone. They're like, what? what's wrong with you? And as they're doing this, uh, Ripper looks into the, um, the DNA pool pit thing that had storm shadows body and storm shadow, his hand emerges and he rises like a ghost from the, from the DNA vat. it's spooky. It's fantastic. Stay your hand dreadnought. Too much has been taken from me, don't you think? Like, awesome! You know, so much about this defies logic. Uh, my biggest thing is how did he breathe? I get it. Bring dead tissue back to life, okay. I'm on board. But he's underwater. How did, was he not drowning? I'm just asking for a friend. But I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. It adds all this depth to Tommy. And this picture, he looks like a ghost. Look at the way Wiggum drew it. He, um, I keep saying uh, Wiggum, I'm like Chief Wiggum. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, with the like the water dripping off him, it makes him look like a ghost. He's still like in the in the cast in the blue shadow. This gives you the reader a page of, holy cow, is he a ghost or is he real? So Destro and Baroness are, instead of leading soldiers, they're just heading an evacuation, which is important. They're very important, and they're just organizing everybody. I absolutely adore that behind all of them is the backdrop of like a, a pep rally from the high school. That was pretty great. Uh, and we get the uh, more touches of romance. And this is the stuff that I'm here for, guys. This is why it came. This, um, the, the character stuff, the... Um, Destro, why are you doing this? You could have escaped in a Rattler hours ago. You're saving the core of the core organization for Cobra Commander. I'm saving it for me. You know, I knew it. You planned to overturn the command. Like, this is all just, this is all Shakespeare. This is great. It's just great. Baroness, like, you know how I've always felt about you. Like, just fantastic. And it, everything, everything about this page is great. In the middle of a battle, Larry finds time for love. Yo, Joe! Awesome, awesome drawing of Serpentor shirtless caped snake-headed 
knife in one hand, gun in the other, leaping into battle for Cobra and victory. And uh, and he gets shot even. And he's just like, nah, I'm good. He staunches the flow with a hot knife, cauterizes the wound like something out of first blood. Just great. Where Cobra troopers were no babes to go mewling home at the first blood. They can shoot our legs away and we'll crawl at them with knives in our teeth. Push the cowards out of the way. I'm going back into the fight and they're just chanting Serpentor. It's just, this is this is why they made Serpentor. This is why I love Serpentor. Uh, it's, he's that inspirational dude that's going to take these guys over the edge. Yo, Joe! The Joes, in full retreat, they find themselves a, um, a garbage truck. Which Snake Eyes, in a nice little bit of ingenuity, uh, does the hot wiring on, which is kind of cool. Uh, Scarlet's still shot up. We don't exactly know what's wrong with her, but she's uh, she's being damaged up pretty uh, pretty good. And they're riding this garbage truck out of town with Beachhead and Leatherneck sitting in the back of the garbage truck, shooting out the back. If you've ever driven behind a garbage truck, you know that can't smell very good. Yo, Joe! Back to the horror story part of this one. Storm Shadow, dripping wet, stands in front of him. He's got a sword, and he has a look of death. Literally, they draw a skull in his eye, and he talks about um, he has the memories of a dead man. Uh, He remembers Carthage, uh, Tyr and Sumer. He remembers the splendor of Rome's legions, the golden horde of the great Khan. So he has gotten some of Serpentor's memories, too. So he's like this mixed up part of it, too. You know, he gets, what have you done to me? He breaks a lot of the um, these DNA tanks with his sword, causes some explosions, etc. Or actually, while he does that, the Joes attack the museum, which cause explosions, which frankly is a relief to one of the Dreadnoughts. That's pretty funny. Um, but this look of fear on Storm Shadow's face. Obviously, we're not used to seeing Storm Shadow A, dead, B, zombied, and C, this afraid. He is absolutely afraid of what he's seen. That's a life-changing moment, which we will see play out in the comics in the in the years to come. Yo, Joe! This top panel's great. Uh, Hawk is leading the uh, the the team, it's, um, and he's, he tells Heavy Metal to cover the assault team with your coaxial machine gun. Move it, move it. This is one of those moments where the the dialogue gets so super technical, like because and it's great, and I love it. Because it's specific, that toy had a coax machine gun. But then when you see it in use, you're like, cover it with your 5mm coax machine gun that sits atop your base and can swivel in a 360 degree direction. It seems like just a bit much. Like, cover us, uh, you know. But Storm Shadow realizes, I gotta go. Because he doesn't know what's going on. He just came back from the dead. Uh, and, and they jump in that ambulance that they were driving in two issues ago, and they skedaddle, leaving Ripcord. They found him, but he's in bad shape. And he tells them the whole place is wired to explode. Yo, Joe! Now, the Joes are at the airport, and the fight there has gotten actually pretty quiet. So they haven't heard back from any of the recon teams. Uh, we get a nice appearance by Flash. We haven't seen Flash used in a long time. Uh, and he's poking around, and he finds an elevator system with a bunch of underground uh, passageways, you know, and it's the underground. It's Cobra's headquarters. We've seen this in multiple, multiple issues of this series. They would show Springfield, then they would go, like, under below Springfield underground. It's, like, the sewers and all that, and beneath the um, 
uh, the arcade, all that stuff. That's a part of this underground complex. This was Cobra's base. This was Cobra's main base. And Flash was the first one to find it. That holy cow, this is all their stuff. And they could have moved all their equipment underneath the city without us even knowing it. And he finds that there is a um, bomb set to explode in seven minutes and 31 seconds. Yo, Joe! And we get a, a rare, uh, kind of a cool sight. We get some eels. They're setting up the debt cords for the explosives, and they're not wearing their face masks. You can see them. So it's a cool look for an eel that we normally don't see when they're in full costume. They've got the helmet on, but without the front faceplate. So you can see their face come out through it. Uh, and they're talking about they've got all the detonation ready and everything's wired to blow and all set. And it's four strong panels. And it's it's like eels, Cobra Soldier giving more orders, bird's eye view of one detonation. And then you get this great um, snake-like de detonation that took place across the entire town of Springfield. Visible from this Fang helicopter that someone is uh, flying. And he visually confirms it. So it's that whole... Uh, it's the underground tunnel that, that snaked throughout Springfield that they use to go everywhere and do everything with. It's all now been collapsed. So hopefully Flesh got out. Yo, Joe! Meanwhile, they didn't need the airport. They were evacuating at the football stadium. And that's where all these helicopters are. That's where Destro and the Baroness are. That's where all the citizens are. Everyone's piling on. This dude in the lower left panel is just... Uh, I want to think the way that's drawn that, that that's someone like like Rod Wiggum's uh, like dad or something because it looks like the kind of face you're like, oh, let me draw my friend Bill. And he says, hurry up, Estelle. we got to get a move on. It's funny. It makes me chuckle. Uh, and so we've got uh, two helicopters left. So all the other helicopters are taking off from the, air, from the uh, football field, not the airfield, from the football field. And so the Joes aren't looking at that. So they're able to get away. Yo, Joe! And at the airport, we get a better look at what happened to Scarlett. She looks like she's got uh, a bandage on her forehead and on her right shoulder. So she probably got shot in the arm and maybe creased across the forehead or she hit her head. But she's okay. She wants back in. She says, uh, you know, she's not out of this fight. Give her a rifle and point her in the right direction. And uh, a Cobra Stinger and a, and a Hiss Tank come roaring up on him. And they're charging right at him. They're, and remember, this is all happening in, in the darkness, right? And there's some fires that are causing, giving them illumination. But the headlights on the Cobra tank and the Cobra Jeep, they're kind of blinding the Joes. So the Joes are about to you know, zero in on them. They're going to shoot at the headlights, basically. And then the lights disappear and, and everything goes black on them. So the Joes don't know what's going on. Yo, Joe! They hear the roar of the engine. Lights come back up and they're about to fire. And it's Hawk and the strike team. So those Hiss tanks and the Stingers, they turned right, left, whatever direction. They took off. Uh, and the uh, strike team did not see the Hiss tank. They said they must have cut a 90-degree angle and turned into the airport runway. So now the question is, well, where did those guys go? Yo, Joe! You still hear them roaring. They're still out there. They could attack at any moment. And there's, because it's pitch black, the Joes really don't have a good idea. With the noise, they've got, I think they said that they've got the, uh, uh, yeah, they take the mufflers and the sound dampening gear off so that the noise is just going to be so loud, it's going to bounce off everything and you're not going to be able to tell where they're coming from. And then the lights go on. The Joes attack the lights. Turns out the vehicles they attacked were empty. They were not driving anyone. Um, great last two three pages just really nice work 
of blacks and shadows and light sources and it works like a um like a cat and mouse horror movie speaking of horror movies because you know like in those kind of movies where like there's a light swinging i'm thinking oh what is it like the end of psycho when the light swing in the basement and you see norman's face or, or not norman's face but you see mother's face and then norman's face and then mother's face and the light just keeps going on and on as it swings in and out of the shadow and it's give that's what you're getting on these pages where it's it's dark and can't see anything then the light comes up then the layer's light again then there's darkness and then there's light and it's when you read it in a set three page, three page thing it's on and on and off and on and off and on it makes a nice rhythm i like it i really do dig it Yo, Joe! And in this this page, they're still in that roar. They still can hear it, everything, but they realize what they're hearing is the whoop 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 of uh, helicopters, and that um, that that his tank diversion that they just experienced that was just a diversion. Um, shipwreck pops some Willy Pete, white phosphorus, and it illuminates the night sky, and that's when they see those giant Cobra helicopters flying away loaded to the gills and they rescued Serpentor. They flew in, got him, pulled him out of the fight. Yo, Joe! And high above Springfield, there is just a ton of Cobra helicopters flying. Let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. At least 20 helicopters on this screen transporting everyone out of Springfield. That's a lot. Um, I love this shot of the Baroness and Serpentor because the Baroness is uh, it could it could just be the way that that he drew her, but it, sh- I think she's drawn suggestively towards Serpentor, as if she's impressed, um, you know, by his by his masculinity prowess, like in kind of a sensual way. And then when you get down to the th- fourth one, two, three, fourth panel here, when Serpentor's like, uh, "I'm gratified to find that one so gracious and beauteous is doubly crowned with the virtues of valor and integrity," I am overwhelmed, Baroness. He's kissing her hand. So you see Destro, he turns his head jealous. This calls back to the love scene we saw earlier. That's why it was so important for Larry to put that little bit of dialogue in there because it just gives character jealousy and character growth in there, even though it was just a quick couple panels of her going like, you don't know how much I love you. And Destro's like, no, maybe I don't. And now we go, oh, here's another. uh, Not only is he a threat to Cobra Commander, but he's also a personal threat to Destro. And that's... um, that's huge, you know. That's huge because again, what is Culver? Culver is just Shakespearean drama. Yo, Joe! So on the Joes at the airport, they've—it's just this weird, hollow victory. They're all surrounded by all their tanks. Culver is completely gone. They've destroyed this whole town, but they don't have anything to show for it. Like, that's it. They, now they're not. You know, Hawks like, oh, I'm not going to cover it up. We're going to have to tell the truth to the jugglers. It's a weird fail. I think last episode, I think I was talking about how this was kind of a win. I forgot that this was how this ended. I thought they ended in more of a, hey, we kicked him out of Springfield. No, no, no. Cobras just sneaks out under under fire. So it looks like, and because everything's at night, especially back then when there wasn't just video cameras everywhere, uh, there's really going to be no evidence that, assuming Cobra burned everything, which you got to assume because that's what Destro told them. So that's what we're meant to believe that they were able to destroy all the evidence. Then you get the explosion underground. So that would have destroyed the bunker that in order to justify this GI Joe is going to have to bend backwards to say, no, really guys, really there was a secret terrorist organization in our backyard. Really there was, and the public's not going to buy it. It's going to be a huge black eye on the Joe's fantastic, really subtle, really great stuff. 
and these final panels on the page, of course, uh, it's Cobra Commander getting wind that uh, Serpentor could be bad for his business. And one final check-in. This is what is... I I love this about J.I. Joe. You can do an episode like this. You can do an issue like this where it's just this huge battle. It leads to a big crescendo. It's the 50th issue. And Larry still would give you a one-page final, you know, it's like a post-credit sequence, really, of to continue the storyline, to give you something, the reader, comic book reader, a reason to come back next issue. And what does he give us? He gives us the introduction of Zorana, Zartan's sister. You know, previously we didn't know Zartan had brothers and sisters and stuff. So that's interesting and exciting. So if you're reading this, you're like, well, I got to find out who that is. That's a reason to come back. And that's what comics do. They They give you this you know, ongoing drama saga. So sure, that battle's over, but guess what? There's some other stuff that's going on. There's some jealous lovers. And then here is the introduction of this mohaired, pink-haired, uh, punk rock Zartan sister. That's awesome. So we get the first appearance of Zarana. Welcome to G.I. Joe. So now that's it for G.I. Joe number 50. It does have the back issue of G.I. Joe, the special missions, best defense, which I am going to come back and do. But frankly, um, I'm tired of hearing myself talk. So you guys are fantastic. Thank you all so, 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 so much for listening. Um, I love it. I love doing this. 50 issues. We've covered 50 issues of G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, and there's plenty more to come. So remember, if you're listening this far, go to patreon.com slash Joe on Joe pod and check it out. See how you can help support the show. And I will see you next time. Now you Joe and Joeing is half the battle. Thank <laughs> you.